families, not churches, must take the lead in developing your family's faith and formation. Making friends already. (laughs) Families, not churches. The church has a role in your family, but the church is not there to do it in spite of or instead of your family. We have responsibilities. The higher purpose of the family, we need to understand, is a high calling. It is a high calling. It is to reflect Jesus to the world at large. And the most crucial element in ministering to your family is nurturing relationships with Jesus Christ. And that should go beyond Sunday, amen? We have a little saying around here. You might have heard it once or twice. It's that what God's called us to do is bigger than Sunday. It is bigger than Bettendorf, and we want to make an impact beyond our lifetime. And in order for that to happen, we have to have a mind shift. We have to have a thought shift with the way that we prioritize things, with the way that we view things, with the way that we view our faith. Because so many of us view our faith in compartmentalized terms to where we just look at our faith as a Sunday thing. Or we look at our faith as something that we do only in certain contexts, when we push certain buttons or when we enter into certain environments. This is something that's supposed to consume us. He is an all-consuming fire. He's worthy of our entire life's devotion, amen? Not just a partial devotion. So here's the thing. We cannot delegate our responsibility to an outside entity. There are, certainly is partnerships. There's partnerships between the family and the church. There's partnerships between family and your, your small group. There's partnerships between your family and perhaps um, Christian education, if that's something that um, you, you participate in and are a part of. There's partnerships there. But they are not supposed to be substitutes for you as a family. And now, I know I'm talking to a group of people today that some of you, you've already raised kids, some of you have never had kids, some of you don't have kids at all and don't plan to have kids. And some of you in this room are still kids. And so I understand that there's a group of people in this room that are very diverse. And so it's going to be easy for you to perhaps check out and go, ah, this doesn't apply to me because, uh, you know, we've already raised our kids or, you know, he's talking about family. No, this applies to every believer because every single one of us have a sphere of influence that God has given us. And that could be a friend group, a family group, it could be uh, co-workers, what have you. And all these same principles apply to those environments. But I do want to speak specifically to family today in that context. But here's the thing, a lot of people are intimidated to take a step in helping to develop their family's spiritual health. And so it's easy to delegate simply because The enemy loves to make you stay in this constant thought process of believing that you are inadequate. And so the longer that he can get you to believe that you are inadequate or that it's not your responsibility, you will continually delegate that responsibility to outside entities instead of taking that mantle and taking that responsibility that God has given you in order to lead your family. And so many people are intimidated to take that step. So today... My hope, my thought, my aim is to help us to overcome that feeling of inadequacy. So how can we develop our family's spiritual health? I'm glad you asked. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24, and this is where we're going to hang out today, is in Joshua 24. We're going to read verses 14 
through 28. But before we do, just to give you a little bit of context, you can understand what's happening here. This is the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua was the person that God put in charge over completing the process of the exodus that began under Moses' leadership. Moses began to lead the children of Israel out under slavery, under the slavery of the Egyptians and, you know, Pharaoh let my people go and all that good stuff. Well, Moses wasn't able to complete the journey. And so because of that, God had another leader to help to complete the journey into the promised land. This took over 40 years. This was a long process of leading these people. Actually, a very short distance, but, you know, people, you know, that's all you got to say. You know, people got in the way. And so because of that, there was a lot of wandering. There was a lot of missteps. There was a lot of trusting God, not trusting God. There was a lot of repentance. There was a lot of challenges in the way. There were a lot of obstacles. And so God raised up Joshua. And the final phase of this entering into the promised land was under Joshua's leadership. The final battles have been won. All of the different uh, tribes have been given their partitions of the land. And Joshua has delegated all of that. He has, he has empowered different people, said, okay, this tribe, you guys are over here, you guys are over here. And everybody's understood this. And then Joshua 24 comes this epic, great ending to the book. And he gives this great speech. Because he wants them to make sure that they understand a few things. That they understand who their provider was. That it truly is and was and will continue to be God. That he's the one who led them out. Because he wants them to continue to trust God even after they began to go on with the rhythms of their life and they're not facing perhaps the challenges that they once endured to get to this place. And he doesn't want them to get too comfortable and begin to revert to old habits and old ways. He doesn't want them to trust in the gods that their fathers trusted in, the gods of the Egyptians. He doesn't want them to go back to worshiping idols. He wants them to stay true and acknowledge the provision of God. So he gives this great speech. And so let's read kind of the second half of this in chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. I could preach a whole sermon just right there. Like I could preach a whole series just right there. He says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and and in faithfulness put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in egypt and serve the lord and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the lord then the people answered far be it from us that we should forsake the lord to serve other gods for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. I wonder if they said that in unison because that's a long thing for like, you know, thousands of people to have memorized. But Joshua, this is the things I think about when I read the Bible. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Isn't this interesting? He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If 
you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And Joshua is kind of a buzzkill from everybody being like really hyped up. And he's like, Okay. This rock heard you. <laughs> you see, he starts off with this idea of fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? This is written all throughout Scripture. We can read in Proverbs. It's mentioned several times. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This concept of fearing God. And he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. You see, church, to fear God is to take him seriously and to seek his heart in order to obey. When I read the scripture, when I seek the heart of God, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Lord, expose to me through who you are in your word the areas of my life that are out of sync, the areas that I am not aligned, the areas in my life that need to be changed. The things in me that need to be transformed as I grow in this journey of sanctification, as I'm putting off, as the Apostle Paul said, the weights that so easily beset me so that I can run with perseverance the race that God has given me to run, so that I can do what he's called me to do. So I'm evaluating based on the fact that I'm taking God seriously and I'm asking him, Lord, help me to obey I want my heart to desire the same thing that God desires. I want to have those desires in my heart. I want to want the things that God wants for the same reason that God wants it. I don't want to just do things just to do them. Lord, help change the orientation of my desires and the priority of my life in which I live. To fear God means that when I hear his word, when he's leading me and guiding me into all truth by his spirit, that I take him seriously. That I know I'm not playing games with God. And he certainly isn't playing games with me when he sent his son to die on the cross. Amen? And so to fear the Lord means that I am seeking to obey. I am seeking an obedience-based discipleship. Not just to gain more knowledge and more information. So many people, they're just interested in learning more things that are, you know, that's pretty neat. Neat Bible facts. I love neat Bible facts, don't you? But at the same time, we can get so consumed with neat and interesting Bible facts that we're learning more to increase our knowledge because it gives us the appearance of spirituality. But the true fruit and substance of spirituality, true, real spirituality, is not just being someone who knows a lot, 
Because if I think that's the way, that's the pathway to spirituality, if that's the pathway to knowing God more is just to know more about God, then I'm actually doing what James said, where I'm deceiving myself. I'm just being a hearer of the word of God, but I'm really poor in applying and being a doer of the word of God. So yes, hear, but also faith activates what I've heard by trusting and stepping out and obeying, amen? And so this is an obedience walk that you and I are called to. It's not just a knowledge-based thing where we're going to be quizzed on it one day in heaven, you know? Oh, man, i got to get all the answers right. No. The Bible rails over and over and over again on fruitfulness, a fruitful life. Galatians 5, 22 begins to spell out the types of fruit that we should be having, or rather the evidence that we should be having in our lives that shows and that is proof that we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Not that we're perfect, but man, I'm growing in learning to trust and obey. He's ordering my steps. And so we all ask questions when we hear like the fear of the Lord. What do I do? What does that mean? You see, here's this idea of the fear of the Lord means to take God seriously. And Proverbs 9 and 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation. It's the starting point. It's the starting line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is correctly applying the knowledge that I have. And so knowledge is great, but correctly applying that knowledge is better. And so obedience, correctly applying that. I can't begin to correctly apply the knowledge that I've learned until I begin to take God seriously. That's what Proverbs 9 and 10 are saying. The fear of the Lord is the starting place. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom only comes, that correctly applying knowledge, it only comes from a posture of humility. A posture that says, God, here I am. Mold me, shape me, make me, break me. Rebuild me. Do what needs to be done in me because I want to know you and your heart. And we must start with Scripture by seeking to obey over acquiring more knowledge. This is something that we say all the time at BCC. It's one of our core values. We start with Scripture. Scripture is our starting point. It's a great truth. But at the same time, what we mean when we say that is not just, oh, we read a lot of Bible verses. Because we do read a lot of Bible verses. Good. Reading lots of Bible verses, woo, I'm for it. <laughs> but at the same time, we must prioritize seeking the Scripture with the intent to obey over just acquiring more knowledge. Because if we're just trying to acquire more knowledge, what's the end of that? What are we just trying to have someone impress us? We're just trying to have some preacher or teacher or some Bible study tell us something that we haven't heard before because we want to be entertained and we've heard the story of David and Goliath or we've heard about Noah and the ark and we've heard about all these different things and tell me something I haven't heard. Impress me. Tell me something that's, that's new that will, will make my knowledge expand or present it in a way that makes me go, church people love this, makes me go, hmm. That's what church people do. I just got back from a Timothy Initiative conference in Florida, and I heard a lot of amazing speakers from all over the world. And you know you're in a room full of pastors because one of the speakers will say something, everybody goes, mmm. What that means is, that's really good. I haven't heard that quite that way before. Mmm. I'm going to write that down, <laughs> right? 
So it's good to hear things that you haven't heard before. I, I'm for that. I'm for us teaching. I'm for us growing. I'm for us learning. But I am a really big fan of us applying what we've learned. Amen? Because that's what leads to fruitfulness. That's what God wants in our lives. And so when we start with Scripture, that's good. But when you open the Scripture, instead of just looking to maybe read something you haven't read before, or instead of just looking at Scripture as something to maybe encourage you when you're having a bad day, because a lot of people use the Bible that way, instead of just looking at it as that, don't just go to it looking for something that you can just go, hmm. Instead, maybe you need to read it and go, Man, what do I need to obey today, Lord? What are you wanting to shape in me? What are you wanting me to give up and what are you wanting me to take up? What are you wanting me to take hold of and what are you wanting me to let go? What are the areas that I've been wrestling, that I've been stubborn, that I've maybe been ignorant of, or maybe I've just been hard-headed? What are the things in me that you're wanting me to obey? Help me to see your heart in that so I can humble myself under the mighty hand of your authoritative word that I can be changed by your spirit and your word leading and guiding me into all truth so I can live a fruitful life. Amen? Amen. So when we're talking about developing our family's spiritual health, we have to start with fearing the Lord. And we have to start with that type of intent because we just don't want people to memorize things. Memorization is great, but why? Why are you wanting someone to memorize something? Like why? What's the end goal here? Let's teach them to obey, not just to memorize. Amen? Oh, man. So here's what we have to do. We have to begin working on developing some sort of starting rhythm, okay? And I want to encourage you in this. Start to develop some sort of rhythm or routine that you can successfully maintain and grow from that foundation. Have some sort of routine of seeking God in order to obey. Maybe something in your family or in your marriage or in your friendships or with your children or with your grandchildren or with your spouse or whomever... Maybe part of that rhythm is starting with a proverb a day. Maybe asking God to show you his heart and some principle that you can discuss all day with your family. And you can talk about how can we obey this? What's God showing us? What's he calling us to obey? This is a much healthier way for us to look at scripture rather than just going and, and reading something and going, okay, we did it. Check the box and move on. Right? A lot of people we just read and we, we go, okay, I, I, I did my time today. You know, that sounds like we just got out of jail or something. Like, I just did my time? Like, is that how we look at spending time with God and spending time in the scriptures? I'm just doing my time? Sometimes it just feels laborious when we look at things that way. But actually, it's very life-giving. This word is alive, amen? And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it's cutting away. It's dividing. It's helping me to grow. It's showing me. It's revealing things in me that God wants me to see so I can trust and obey if I approach him humbly, asking him, how can I grow? Have a routine of prayer in your home that can be driven by asking God to move in various ways according to his will with every request. And, and maybe if you're intimidated by that, and you're like, ah, there goes that prayer thing again. Yep, yeah, it's vital to your spiritual health. If you don't know where to start, start with the Lord's Prayer. It's in there, man. Just start with something as simple as that. And maybe even slow down. Slow down. Here, I'll encourage you with this. This may help somebody. Slow down when it comes to familiar things. And see what God wants to show you in that. Sometimes we're really familiar with concepts like the Lord's Prayer or John 3.16, right? We can be really familiar with that. 
And we can rattle those things off without really thinking about what we're saying because we've said them so much or read them so much. Maybe some of you grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer, but you've never really slowed down. I want to encourage you to slow down and break it down and think about this idea of our Father. Whoa, stop right there. What if you just stopped right there and you just hung out in our Father? What is this idea, this concept of looking at God as Father? Before I move on to anything else in that prayer, I'm talking to my Heavenly Father. What if you just sat in that for a minute? Slow down with familiar things. John 3, 16, for God so loved. Slow down, hang on. Just slow down. Maybe get out a pen, maybe get out some paper. Think about the love of God before you just recite something, read something, check off a box, amen? And then in the middle of that, God, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to apply in my life? What are you asking me to look at differently today? What are you asking me to trust you with, humble myself before? This is the type of conversation that will be really healthy at your dinner table or with your family or with your spouse or with your friendships. These conversations will be much more healthy and much more productive to your spiritual growth than you just memorizing things and checking off boxes. I hope this helps somebody. Maybe you can set like some sort of memory verse for your family for the month. Maybe discuss it, commit it to memory. That's great. Memorization is great. But make sure that you're seeking the heart of God to obey, not just to memorize, to go, well, we've got another one. Man, we are going to really do good at Bible trivia. We are, man, or, or sometimes we wear scripture memorization as badges of honor. Look at how many I've, I've memorized. Memorization is great. How many are you seeking to obey? Okay? Memorization is great, but what are you, how many are you seeking to obey? And how many are you seeking the heart of God in? Because faithfulness follows this healthy fear of the Lord. And so I'm called to faithfulness. I'm called to bear much fruit. I'm called to keep trusting. And, and am I going to have bad days? Am I going to mess up in the process? 100%. You betcha. As a matter of fact, if you've got some good ideas of things you want to go home and do, there's going to be every attack possible and every excuse possible that's going to try to throw itself at you and get in the way of you ever starting. I promise that. I can't guarantee much, but I guarantee that. Because anytime you try to step out and do something for God, anytime, there's going to be some sort of excuse that will throw itself in your face. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't have time. I'm too tired. I don't feel well. Everything. I just got busy. Everything. I promise. It's going to happen. So don't be surprised. And don't be like, well, I wanted to do what pastor said. <laughs> but I can't. I knew this was coming. He told me this was coming. And so what do you do? You got to push through, man. You got to push through. Nobody wants to go to the gym, but nobody regrets going to the gym afterwards. It's true. It's true. 100%. I've never left the gym and went, man, that was a waste of time. You know? Because getting there is a big battle sometimes, right? It is. Sometimes getting there is, is the battle, folks. And the enemy wants to try to intimidate you, make you feel inadequate, make you feel like you're overwhelmed and you just can't. And give you every excuse. I just want to encourage you to push through because that faithfulness, that faithfulness, man, faithfulness follows a healthy fear of God. So when I have that healthy fear of God, faithfulness is going to follow that. That's why you've you got to start with taking God seriously. 
That's why you got to start with the fear of the Lord. That's why it's the beginning. It's the starting line. Faithfulness follows that. Faithfulness follows that. So if you're struggling, if you're struggling with faithfulness, might I encourage you and exhort you to start meditating on developing a healthy fear of God, a.k.a. taking God seriously. Because faithfulness will follow that. And we have to evaluate our environment. And we have to rid our lives of things that dishonor God. We have to take an inventory of the environment that is around us. This is what Joshua told the people to do. He said, guys, he said, it's great. You're making all these vows. You're making all these commitments. But man, you need to rid yourself of the idols. You need to rid yourselves of these foreign gods. You need to forsake these ways of thinking. You're going to have to take an account of what's around you, of the things you're entertaining yourselves with, evaluate your environment, because there's things in your life that if you, and that's what Joshua, he's like, you guys aren't going to do this. Well, Joshua, that's not a very encouraging thing to say. He's like, you're not going to do this until you rid yourselves of those things. This is what he tells them. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. Verse 19, he's a holy God. You're not able to do this. He said, he's a jealous God. And he said, so here's what you need to do. He said, you need to rid yourself of these foreign gods and these idols. And you must have a heart for the Lord God of Israel. He must take the priority seat. And you need to take account to all these things that you're trying to drag along with you. All these, all these concepts, these, these ideas, these idols. He said, you're going to have to let go of some of those things. A great place to start with evaluating your environment is your entertainment choices, your friendships, how you speak to people, the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth would speak. So what are the things I'm saying? What are the conversations that I'm getting myself into? How I treat other people, how I react to situations, how I spend my time, take an account and an evaluation of my time. And just simply pray, ask God to lead your heart as you seek him through his word and through prayer. And if you sense it's time to change some things that may not honor God, you have to be willing to give it up and reprioritize it. Because if God is requiring something of you, and he is highlighting something to you that is become a, an object or a thing of worship that is being worshipped or given more priority than him, that thing has now been elevated to a place of an idol. You have exalted this above him. You want to hang on to it. You may try to justify it. You may try to make excuses for it. Why you want to hang on to it. And here's what idols do. Idols lie. All idols lie. And you know why they lie? Here's why they lie. Here's the big secret. They lie so you will continue worshiping them. <laughs> because here's what idols can't do. They have no power to produce on their own. They just lie and say they do. That's why people become alcoholics, because you know what you need, the idol says, you just need another drink. The idol of this alcoholism, it, it presents itself as a solution. You need another drink. And you go, okay. And then you go, okay, again and again, and you keep worshiping and bowing down. And then eventually you do bow down at a porcelain god once you have drank too much. <laughs> And then when you're wasted and you're hungover and you're in a vulnerable, weakened state, what does the idol do? It comes right back and says, you know what? You feel pretty bad. You know what you need? 
another drink. The idol keeps lying. Why does the idol keep lying? Because it wants you to worship it. Food does the same thing. Spending money and buying things, acquiring things, it does the same thing. You know, you just need this, and it keeps lying to you, and it never fills that hole. It never fills that gap. That's what idols do. That's why they're so dangerous, because we get caught in a cycle of all sorts of dangerous things that hurt us. We can get caught in creating an idol out of anything. So as we are growing, as we are developing our family's spiritual health, we must evaluate the environment in our home. And evaluating the environment in our home means we have to rid ourselves of things that dishonor God. Now, I can't get up here and give you a list of those things because some of those things will become idols for you that may not become idols for your neighbor. This is when it comes down to this concept of commandments and convictions, right? The commandments in the scripture apply to all of us, but the convictions, God may be leading you and dealing with you on something that he's not dealing with someone else about, right? And so you can't make your conviction someone else's convictions because the Spirit of God may be dealing with you. This is what James 3 talks about, where to him who knows what is right to do and he does not do it, to him, that man, that's sin for him. And so we have to trust that what God may lead us to do, that's why I'm not going to judge somebody for other things that the Bible doesn't clearly say is sin. If the Bible says it's a command, it's clearly sin, that means that's for everybody, right? But when it comes to this idea of what he may be leading you to do, Maybe he wants you to stay away from, you know, uh, spending money a certain way. Maybe he wants you to stay away. I remember my buddy, um, uh, Sean from Oklahoma, when I was a youth pastor, uh, he had allowed OU Sooner football to become an idol in his life. Even his horn was the fight song. Like when he would honk the horn, he'd go, and it was really annoying. And Sean... Sean loved Sooners, but he loved them to an unhealthy way. He said God got a hold of his heart. And he said that God told him, in his heart, he believed that God was leading him to fast the entire season. Not watch a game, not even check on the scores, nothing. And it was really tough for him, but he did it because he had allowed it to become an idol. He didn't discuss Sooner football. He didn't even wear Sooner gear because he said, I made this an idol. Now, eventually he got back into Sooner football, but he had a much healthier approach. But God required that of him. It would be wrong of him to go around and tell everybody who was a fan, you know, you need to stop this, you know. That, that was something God was dealing with him about. But what are the things in your life that maybe have been elevated to a place that's unhealthy? Things that have become idols. Things that become idols in your home. Maybe even some things that are toxic and just unhealthy in general that you've just been kind of just hanging on to. Because they're comfortable. They're familiar. And God has been requiring those things of you. And you know it. Like you, you sense it. You sense God's wanting you to clean house. It starts in our homes. We have to evaluate because an idol is anything that has your heart more than God. He says right here, Joshua said, God is a jealous God. He is holy. He says this right here in verse 19. There's going to be no other gods before him. This is part of us serving him, living for him. We have to evaluate the environment in our home. Joshua 24 and verse 23, he said, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is why he gives us his gospel. Because the gospel anchors my heart and it guides my heart in leading my family. It guides my heart in leading my family. Here's our big idea for today. A spiritually healthy family 
will rely heavily on the gospel of Jesus Christ. A spiritually healthy family will rely heavily on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So where do we start? Where do we turn in crisis? Where do we turn in failures? Where do we turn in trials? You see, because of faith in Jesus, we are in right standing with God. And because of faith in Christ and because of that right standing with God, we have access to find everything that we need in him. In other words, he is enough. He is enough. He will never stop being enough. A healthy family will regularly model reliance upon Christ. It doesn't mean that family is perfect. Actually, it, it means quite the opposite. That family is not perfect, but they're pursuing the heart of God. And they're relying on Jesus even in the middle of their struggles, even in the middle of marital crisis, even in the middle of a wayward child, even in the middle of bad behavior at school, even in the middle of financial hardships, even in the middle of all these knockdown, drag out fights, even in the middle of all of the things that we continually fail in, our addictions, our habits, all of those things that we know that his grace is sufficient in the middle of all of that. But his grace is not there just to let us drown in it. His grace is there to help us to continue to grow as our heart is being shaped and formed in a way that's glorifying and honoring God. And so this is that reliance we must have on Jesus. This is where we find grace. This is where we find forgiveness. This is where we find joy and contentment. This is where we find direction. This is where we find correction. This is where we find peace. You see, Joshua set up a large stone under an oak tree to remind the people of what God had done. He set up a large stone so everybody, when they saw this stone under this big oak tree, they would remember this day. They would remember what God brought them through. They would remember the commitment that they had made. They would remember the covenant that they had made with Joshua there in front of the Lord. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yes, too. He had said all of that there so they would remember what God has done, what they committed to God. And you see, we have a reminder too, church. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross reminds us of what he's done for us. The cross reminds us of where he's brought us from. The cross reminds us that we never stop needing him. The cross reminds us that without him that we could never please God because we have faith now in what he's done as being sufficient. He is sufficient. He is enough. And that gospel and that reliance on that good news that me who was once an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, an enemy of God has now been brought into the family of God, that redirects my focus and anchors my heart. And it guides my heart. It guides my family. All of these things are great that we can do. But man, if I don't have that fear of the Lord, if I'm not anchored in the gospel, I'm just trying to discipline myself in my own strength. And I'm going to fail over and over and over again. And I'm not going to enjoy the freedom that Christ has bought and paid for because I'm not trusting in his sufficiency. I'm trusting in my ability to discipline myself. No, I need to say, God, help me to develop a greater fear Help me to develop a greater honor in taking you seriously. Lord, humble me. Help me 
seek in your word to obey. Let me trust in you with all my heart and stop leaning on my own understanding. Let me remember the cross. So let's fear God. Let's start with scripture. Let's evaluate our environment. Let's rely on the gospel so we can be a church that's full of spiritually healthy families serving God together and impacting these cities and impacting this world with his gospel. I believe that's what God has called us to and wants us to be in whatever context that may fit your season of life. We all have a role. We all have a responsibility. This is real spirituality, not just showing up, not just checking a box, not just memorizing facts and scriptures. No, it's actually saying, okay, Lord, I want to take this seriously. So maybe today you're in this place and the Holy Spirit may be convicting you because perhaps in this place today or maybe watching online, you've never really taken the Lord seriously. You've gone through the forms. You've gone through the motions. Maybe you've said a prayer. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've attended Sunday school. Maybe you've memorized verses, but you've never really taken this seriously. You've just gone through the motions. I want you to reach out to him today. In this moment, if that's what the Spirit of God's doing in you, and declare your need. Maybe you've been trusting in all these other things. That's just check marks. I've done all those things. Or I, I was raised up in, in, in this kind of faith, and I went through catechism. I was, I was dedicated. I was sprinkled. I was, you know, dunked, whatever. doesn't matter. Did you take that seriously? Did you really have a fear of God and that trust? Or are you just going through the motions? Because somebody told you you're supposed to. Because God's not playing games. I'm not playing games. You see, eternity is on the line. And for us to change the landscape of heaven, we have to take our faith seriously. For us to see our families impacted with the gospel, we have to take our faith seriously. Amen? We can't play these games. We have to say, Lord, I'm, I'm taking this seriously. Here I am, Lord. What, what, do you, what do you want me to obey? I want to grow and learn to obey. I want to humble myself. Instead of getting arrogant, go, oh, I already know that. I already knew that. Mm, yep. Nope. Knew that too. God's not impressed with what you know. I'm not impressed with what you know. We're not here to impress each other. We're not here to flex on how spiritual we can appear on the outside. Because Paul told Timothy, man, in, in the last days, there's going to be people that are going to be flexing spiritually. This is Derek's version here. He said they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're not going to have any power. In other words, there's not going to be any real change. But they're going to look like it from the outside. Man, I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. Amen? I, I want to be the real deal. I want to be sincere. That's what Joshua said. Fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness and sincerity. It's what we're called to do. So we need to humble our hearts today. Father, help us to humble our hearts today as we have corporately gone through your scripture and as we have heard your word expounded upon and taught and explained and I pray Holy Spirit whatever is of you whatever you're doing may you do that clearly in hearts and if there's anything that's not of you Lord may it just be quickly forgotten 
Lord, I pray that a message like this from your word, Lord, may, may it challenge us to take you seriously, to evaluate our lives, evaluate our homes, evaluate our rhythms, our routines. And Lord, expose any wicked way in us. And may we put that thing off, lay it down. Oh, may we run with perseverance the race set before us. Help us to grow in Christ's likeness and godliness. And if there's someone here today that does not know you or thought maybe they knew you, but they've just been checking a bunch of boxes, I pray that today they would truly know you and be known by you by putting their faith and their trust in you. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come up. If you have prayer for anything, or if perhaps you placed your faith in Christ today, we want you to let us know about it. Because as you see, God's been doing awesome things. People have been getting baptized at BCC left and right, man. Every week, I think, past like six weeks, we've had somebody get baptized. It's awesome. I don't think there's been a, yeah, praise God for that. And we don't, and we don't just baptize them and then go, Good luck with the Jesus stuff. We pair people who've been baptized up with other people to help them walk through their faith journey. And the same thing with you. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we want to pair you up with somebody to help you walk through. They'll even text you and contact you, call you, whatever, today. They'll connect with you today. So let one of our prayer team members know that, hey, I put my faith and trust in Christ today. If you're online, let somebody in the chat know you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today because we want to pair you up with somebody to help you walk out this faith journey. You weren't meant to do this alone, and we don't want you to do it alone. None of us are supposed to do this alone. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and stand? Before you go, let's read the Great Commission together, and let's go out and live out our sentness. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless you, BCC.